At the 2013 U.S. Outdoor Championships in Des Moines, Mary Kane was just a 17-year-old rising high school senior, and yet she was one of the most popular American track athletes at the time. She was single-handedly rewriting the high school record books and showed promise with each and every one of her races. I distinctly remember being at Drake Stadium in a super humid press room when she finished second in the women's 1500 and qualified for her first U.S. national team. So after that, she went on to make the world championship final in Moscow. And looking back, what I really remember was just how popular she was. There were swarms of reporters around her in Des Moines. And there was a moment when Chicago Tribune reporter Phil Hirsch had asked Mary if any of her recent success had surprised her at all. And she responded with, quote, I'm crazy. So I have always shot for the stars. Last year, guys, I was making the Olympic team in my mind. So who are we kidding? I've just had a lot of confidence over the years, end quote. So what happened after that? For much of the past two and a half years, Mary has been absent from many race results. So this week, I caught up with Mary in New York City to give us the full story on what she's been up to and her most recent return to racing. So that confidence that she mentioned, I think it's still there. I'm Chris Chavez, and you're listening to the City of Smag podcast. Before we get to the interview with Mary, a reminder that today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by Soar Running. Running performance that's made to move. It's the brand that's made for the style conscious athlete, but also for those who perform at the highest level. What they're doing is creative, distinctive running apparel with cutting edge fabrics and manufacturing techniques. My favorite product by them is the Elite Tempo Top 2.0. It's lightweight and it's breathable. It's fast absorbing for warm training or warm racing conditions. It's modern yet simple and functional. You're going to love the way you look and you're going to enjoy the way you move in it. I can guarantee it. Their men's and women's summer collection is now out. So if you visit them over at soarrunning.com, you will find something that you love. So follow them on Instagram at soar underscore running check them all out links to their pages are included in the show notes so check them out today my guest for today's show is mary kane she burst onto the scene as a star out of bronxville high school in new york she set high school record after high school record including 159 for the 800 404 62 for 1500 and she's even run 424 for the mile And as previously mentioned, she represented the U.S. at the 2013 World Championships and finished 10th in the 1500 meter final. She was coached by Alberto Salazar since 2012 and then moved out west to officially join the Nike Oregon Project. So she totally bypassed the typical NCAA system and turned pro early. Um, So she was living and training out there until she announced that she was moving back to New York in October 2016. So we delve more on that decision later on in the show. Uh, And now Mary is currently living and training in Manhattan under coach John Henwood, someone that she's had a relationship with over the years. And she most recently returned to racing with a win at the New York Roadrunners Japan Run 4-miler. So after all this, on Monday night, I decided to pay 
her and her boyfriend Jake a visit to their apartment to catch up on much of what's happened since she's left the Oregon Project. So she's someone that a lot of track fans have been waiting to hear from, and she's got a great perspective on running now at 23 years old. So without further ado, let's start the show. We are live with Mary Kane. Mary, first off, welcome to the podcast and welcome back to competition and training. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So the big question everyone has been wondering is where have you been the last like two and a half years? Totally living under a rock. Obviously, <laughs> I didn't exist. I was, you know, going through my college years in a very, I guess, low key sort of fashion, which was kind of fun looking back. And you're still a runner. I still run. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot. I mean, I was getting a lot of messages from people like, oh, like, why did you never announce that you retired? I was like, because uh, I didn't. <laughs> you just went on living your life and having a normal, what, 18 and 20, 18 to 20 years of your life. Yeah, just, you know, for me, I had some injuries, so I wasn't really on the circuit per se, but I was still out training, just kind of putt-putting around and getting my degree, which I'm now officially done with, which is kind of fun. What'd you end up studying? Um, business administration and doing my pre-med. How did that work? So you went to, because you turned, I guess, 18 while you were still out in the West Coast? Yeah. So I did my first year of school out in Portland. And at the time, I was still a chemistry major. Um, and then in 2016, I was home in New York. And I really only took like a couple of classes at Fordham, pretty much took a gap year just trying to kind of like sort things out. And then I did three years and I switched um, into Fordham's Gabelli School. Um, Cause I kind of realized that I was only interested in chemistry from the med school side of things. And otherwise it wasn't a particularly practical major to be balancing athletics and, and the science. So I just did my pre-med stuff. So what was that process like, I guess, when you were choosing a college initially and you ended up at Portland? Yeah, so it's kind of funny because part of the reason I picked Portland, obviously, was, I mean, location. Um, it was a good school near Nike, and that was really the main thing. But I also did love the school because it kind of reminded me of Fordham. And for me, that is my dad's alma mater, and it was always kind of the local school growing up that, like, we would go visit and go to games and stuff. So I felt very comfortable there. Um, and then when I kind of knew I was officially moving back home and I needed to kind of figure things out in terms of where to complete my degree, um, I, I didn't want to do NYU or Columbia. I felt like that was just kind of adding a lot of stuff that I didn't really need in my life at the time. And so I ended up moving home, commuting to class, only 15 minutes away from my house, uh, three minutes away from Van Cortlandt Park. So it just made things a lot easier. So moving back to New York initially was a personal decision or was it still at that point running related a personal decision i was still like i in 2014 to 2015 that kind of academic year for me my freshman year i was on the organ project in portland and then the next year i was still on the organ project but i was in new york and that was for like personal stuff 
Oh, okay, gotcha. All right, so we'll run through the list of injuries, <laughs> yeah. which I think you, before we start recording, I guess you categorize as like a laundry list of injuries. So uh, I hope you wrote them all down because <laughs> I'm going to ask you about each and every one of them. But most recently, you were featured in a YouTube video that was put out by Visit Mammoth, and we're going to unpack, I think, quite a bit about it. So I will link to that video in the show notes. But first off, when was this shot, and how did you end up at Mammoth? And sort of, I mean, what... Because you had been away, not away from the sport, mm -hmm. but just like in a different place with the sport, where were you with running at that time? Totally. So I'm really good friends with Alexi Pappas. She's absolutely amazing and has been super supportive um, really kind of throughout my whole injury cycle. We kind of had similar ups and downs at similar times. Um, and so she'd always been, you know, encouraging me to come out to Mammoth and it just made sense for me to do it. Uh, during my like winter break between school and I'd been healthy for a while and it kind of been like my first you know maybe like three months back up in training um, and I'd been stringing together some mileage and I felt the main reason I wanted to go out was kind of for a mental shift um, I think for a long time and I think it's just the nature of living at home and you know having had so many injuries where you kind of fall out of that like professional runner mindset and it was kind of reaching a point where it was like, you know, if it was between orgo homework and getting in that stretch, I, I was starting to pick the orgo <laughs> homework over the stretching. And I kind of knew that I needed a, like a kind of reshift in frame. Um, and that ended up being really the main thing that came away from the mammoth trip. And it was super important for me um, to kind of have it. But it just was kind of sad how it <laughs> happened around the same time that I guess I like pinched a nerve in my back. <laughs> so that explains a lot. Because yeah. <laughs> if you look online or maybe I haven't looked at the YouTube comments, but just in general, your form doesn't look great. Oh, no, it doesn't. It's not OK at all. <laughs> like we filmed me running like I it kind of this probably like impinged nerve thing that I had in my back happened like a couple of days before I left. And so I'm like, I'm fine. This is probably nothing. And then within a couple of days being out there, I'm like, this is not okay. <laughs> they had filmed me looking bizarre. People must think I like have a problem. <laughs> and then by like the end of the trip is when they do the interview where I sound really great. And I'm like, yeah, let's reflect on things. I mean, while like those first couple of days you see me like running terrible, but most of the trip, I mean, I, realized early on that i looked bananas and i was like i just have to sort out this thing and it really ended up not taking too long to get you know addressed but it sh was just a sad timing i guess what have you heard i guess about what uh, people have said about your form in that video well i think i've mostly heard from you in the brooklyn track club yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not exactly somebody who goes on let's run and by that i mean i haven't gone since my freshman year of high school um and so i'm i don't care what people are saying i don't see it but it's funny when you hear friends talking about it yeah we were kind of just like it <laughs> you did, did not look okay <laughs> like, it's like is there something wrong with the treadmill and no i like <laughs> i i like i remember even when like first time happening i said to dina i'm like i nothing hurts but i have like no control over my left leg um and it was actually really kind of great timing though ultimately that had happened um because we were kind of able to you know look into like first off what the issue was the impinged nerve and then kind of get to the root of like why i had that um 
and it kind of links into a lot of the injuries I've had um, from just like a biomechanical standpoint. Um, and so since then in my whole buildup, you know, I'm super focused on the running of course as well, but the strength side and kind of addressing my lower back issues has been absolutely key for my health. So before we go, I guess, deeper into the video, now that we've brought in, uh, like, I guess the injuries, let's, let's run through them. When did the yeah. injury problems start? So, um, it's really sad. I, my, like, I tried to run a turkey trot in, I guess that was like the fall of 2016. And I ended up having to drop out because midway through the race, I suddenly had a super sharp pain in my leg, which, you know, runners are insane. So at the time I was like, it's definitely just like nothing. It's fine. And I got an MRI and it turns out I had a stress fracture in my shin. Um, and then I just kind of got into the injury cycle loop, AKA you cross train like a mad woman for two to three months. And then you're like, I'm still really fit, even though I've been cross training. And then you try to run all out and within two months you're hurt again. Um, and so that, that kind of is what started it all. And so what were some of the, so it starts with a stress <laughs> fracture and then from there, yeah. how did it spiral? So that stress fracture first off was probably caused also partly cause I had a calf strain right before it and it never really hurt, but my calf got like really large. Um, and I was like, this is totally normal. This is fine. I'm going to keep running. And, um, so this, that first stress fracture happened and then I ended up actually getting a pretty significant injury by, um, getting a stress fracture in my femoral neck. Um, and that ended up just, I was out for like 10 months with that. And not because it was so bad, but it was just, we actually did take a very long term, like long return to running. And also by the later stages, it was still showing up in MRIs. And I've since learned that that doesn't always mean it hasn't healed, but we were just being super careful because you don't, you know, you don't hurt that area. Um, and then after that, I just had hurt my sacrum like this time last year. Um, and then at the end of last summer, I hurt my pubic bone, which is kind of an embarrassing place to hurt. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so what happens when you have a bad back? <laughs> <laughs> Throughout all those injuries, are you ever thinking this is it? It's over. I mean... I would be totally lying if I every time was like, this is okay. I'm just going to bounce right back. But I think first off, it really helped me having been still in school. Yeah. Um, it wasn't exactly like I was 26 and like, I need to get a job. Like I'm almost, there wasn't a level of maybe desperation in that mm -hmm. department. Um, and so for me, it was just kind of like, you know, I know I'm still young. Um, each injury, I learned something from it. You know, they say insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. And certain things I probably was classified as insane each time I got an injury because overtraining was definitely the big thing or pushing too soon, too hard. But other little things along the way I kept picking up um, and trying to change and trying to learn from. And I feel that was almost what kept me going because each time I could kind of look back at my training and see something and be like, if I change this, you know, we can get back up to this level and be healthy. Um, and so I definitely had my days, but I never truly lost hope or I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess now what was the la what was the latest thing that you've learned 
from injuries. You said you pick something up every single time. Mm-hmm. Now that you've put together like a solid, healthy stretch, yeah. What was the what's I guess the accumulation of all these lessons that has allowed for this to happen? Totally. I think the biggest thing for me is that um, you know in high school and when I usually talk about high school, I'm thinking more like pre-professional running. Um, you know, you run like 20 miles a week and you still pull out these crazy times because you're always just super fresh and you can always run fast. Um, and so I think when I would look back at my logs, I was always seeing these really like pretty impressive, like 200 splits or something like that. Um, and so when I would be coming back from injury, I was always trying to push the speed too soon. And I was always like, I, I had this kind of need to be on the track, be spiked up, be pushing hard. And I was, you know, straining and not training is really what it came down to. And so this build up, the biggest thing has been that I really gave my coach full control. Um, I was never begging to do extra hundred meter strides for no reason at the end of a run or to get on the track soon. Um, I've just trusted the process and that's meant actually a little bit more on the mileage side, a little bit more on the strength, um, rather than doing 200 repeats for my first workout, we're doing, you know, mile reps or a tempo or something to kind of adjust my body back into the speed. So how different is Mary Kane 2019 from like Mary Kane 2014 early on? Well, Mary Kane 2014 really struggled with long runs. Those were experiences to say the least um and now they're like sometimes the bread and butter of my training and i i can't necessarily say they're my favorite run because at the end of the day i'm i'm like a 200 meter you know rep person at heart but that i think has been where i'm seeing the potential and i think that's why it's kind of exciting because i know I always knew from a long-term perspective the top 1500 meter women are coming from a strength side of the sport um and so being able to actually capitalize on that and actually train in that way has been really fun are you thinking 1500 are you thinking 5k where where are you at i guess in terms of just like what you want to focus on um i think right now i'm kind of continuing with the same mindset i've had for the last few months and that's to take it day by day um and i think i realize that right now it's mid-may and i still have a lot of work to do to get my speed up um, and so come June, come July, come August, we'll just be constantly readdressing for the year ahead what kind of makes the most sense mm-hmm. race-wise. Um, but I mean, for me right now, everything is really more about 2020 and beyond. And I think I can have a really great year this year. I'm super excited, but I'm not going to do anything to compromise my long term. And so if that means I can't start pushing the speed as much as I would want as early as I'd like, then, you know, I can jump into some 5Ks and focus on that. Interesting. Let's go back to the video, uh, (laughs) the mammoth video. Uh, So I guess another thing that people have like, well, first off, great job dropping a Winnie the Pooh quote in there. Oh, yeah, that was in my senior yearbook. So, you know, I got to do it. (laughs) The other thing, the other quote that people are talking about is this one quote, where you talk about the Oregon project. Yeah. And so in it, you said that the situation with the Oregon project wasn't ideal, I think is what it was. Mm -hmm. So I guess, can you clarify what you meant by that or, or just kind of elaborate on it? What, what did you mean by that? Yeah. So I think the big thing for me was I was jumping into a very competitive environment at a very young age. And I was somebody who was trying to balance 
um, an academic course load while also training. Um, and I think I kind of got down a sort of unhealthy emotional path. And it was part of the reason that I ultimately moved home while still on the team. Um, and as a person, I needed to grow a lot and I needed, you know, some help to maybe gain certain levels of confidence and have a support system who were kind of there for me as both an athlete and as a person and as a student and kind of in every department of my life. Um, and I wasn't able to kind of let that in while I was in Portland. Um, and so it was a really tough decision, but ultimately I decided for that period of my life, I needed to be home. I needed to be around, um, you know, my family and friends and <clears throat> really kind of get just, you know, I guess a larger layer of support that I think a lot of college students would empathize with mm -hmm. and a lot of people in that age range would. Um, and I think me today as a 23 year old looking back, um, I totally like certain things I totally would have handled a lot better. And I'm like, oh, you know, my 19 year old self was, you know, insane with certain things. But I think I needed to make that change and make that step and kind of stand up for myself as a person um, and kind of admit when something wasn't necessarily fitting for me. And I guess so when you mentioned mm -hmm in that same video where it's like, I think it was, you wanted it to, to do something different. So mm -hmm. I guess, what does that look like from what is different, I guess, about your, the setup that you went for leaving behind, I guess, the Oregon project. Yeah. So I think for me, it ended up just kind of being the fact that I wasn't really on a team. And I think at first that was I, I, like, ultimately that was kind of problematic. I think I went from being like, I'm in a full and team environment. I have all this from an athletic side of things this to is all at Bronxville this, right this is like when I was like on the Oregon mm -hmm. project oh okay to once I left all of a sudden I'm an individual athlete I'm living at home like I all of a sudden don't have access to a lot of things but I think for me it was like the doing things different was kind of being on my own um and I think you know looking back I kind of needed to do that to kind of find myself as a person um, but it made training a lot more challenging. And that's why, honestly, now living in the city and being much more kind of involved with the running scene here has helped a lot because it just, it's hard at a young age to do it on your own. You know, it's hard at a young age to do it really in almost any environment, <laughs> whether you're in a full-time, super competitive training environment all alone. It's it's a challenging transitional time in your life. I think no matter what you're doing Yeah, you decided to pick New York. Well, I guess like you're originally from here, but New York and you live in Manhattan. It's not yeah. the most like ideal place to train. You know, it's funny because I, I would disagree. Okay. Um, in that I'm, I don't live in the middle of nowhere, which really helps from a like medical physical therapist, even just like, gym access point of view i mean i know we don't like have like lifetime fitness gyms which are like incredible but i don't feel anybody else on the professional sphere is living in areas that are necessarily using those sort of things mm -hmm. um obviously we don't have altitude but i think you know once you look nationwide not all the top runners are mm -hmm. living at altitude um and also just really cool here and like so much more else. to do outside of just running yeah. yeah and i think for me you know what i learned over 
the course of my career is that I need to cultivate myself as a person just as much as I need to cultivate myself as a runner. Um, and that was the stuff that I was, was always going to the wayside. Um, and honestly, that's why I wasn't doing very well. So I guess one last thing I think about the, the Oregon project, and we'll probably come back to the Oregon project throughout the conversation, but what is your relationship with Alberto like now? Um, good actually. Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't really leave with hard feelings. I think there was kind of an understanding that I was going through my own personal journey and I mm -hmm. just needed a different level of support and a different kind of environment to get myself there. Um, and so, yeah, honestly, it's, it's totally good. <laughs> Still stay in touch. Yeah. text every now and then yeah no it's it's uh, it's good <laughs> yeah um before i forget and you mentioned i guess that trip to mammoth and just how much how it kind of like maybe it wasn't the perfect time for you physically but you yeah. left it m like with a better perspective and mentally how much of it did dina play a role i'm sure it's like she's one of the greatest u.s distance runners of all time and she's her book appears is awesome i haven't read it yet but um in terms of just like conversations with her, what were you able to get out of it? Oh, I mean, it was honestly amazing. Um, I think it really, that whole trip just set me up for kind of what I'm doing right now. Um, and I think the biggest thing with Dina is she's just, she keeps it very simple and she's like, take it day by day. If it's a recovery day, recover. If it's a hard day, train hard. And it sounds very obvious, but I think, you know, as anybody who comes from a competitive mindset, that can be the hardest thing to do. Taking your easy day easies is really hard <laughs> sometimes. I can't do it. I, I was always like throwing it down on easy days and acting like I was, oh yeah, I'm recovering. Um, and I think just being in that environment with her and seeing what she was doing and realizing that, hey, you know, if you really just need to kind of put, put around out there just to get the miles in, that's okay. That's good. That's going to set you up for your next run. Um, and I think just kind of changing my mindset to really commit to everything fully. It doesn't always have to be the hardest workout um, that you have to kind of be focusing on over the course of the week. It's everything you do every day. You come back from that trip or you just fired up in New York like, all right, it's time to get serious about training. <laughs> yeah, and it really helped too because it lined up with me moving into Manhattan itself. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to go to the gym every day. Like it totally got me pumped. So that timing-wise, while I was living it, I was like, oh no, this is such bad timing because I'm not really running. But looking back, absolutely needed, absolutely perfect timing. And you credited John Henwood, your coach, I guess. Yeah. As so you finally kind of like let him take the reins. And mm -hmm. now it's led to this stretch of being healthy for this period of time. What is what is this level of trust that you have in John? And I guess like how has that developed over the years since I guess you moved back? Yeah. So I just got din we just got dinner with him last night. And it was kind of funny because, you know, I've nearly known him for like seven years. Like so our relationship has in certain ways evolved a lot. Um, and other ways I'm still like the really dumb 16 year old, like <laughs> yeah, I'm running around in circles on the track. So it's kind of funny to reflect on that sometimes. Um, but yeah, so when I first started working with John, it was, you know, he would kind of get Alberto's workouts and be kind of implementing them. And he was super hands-on and very involved um, and just an amazing 
person and you know kind of presence in my life and then when I was on the Oregon project I just wasn't like meaning when I was in Portland and even that kind of awkward gap year um I wasn't working as much with him and then coming back I think in a lot of ways I was so like in this dumb mindset of like I have to do this on my own and like you know sometimes I was like oh John I should be doing this and he'd be like what like no that doesn't make any sense and I think I wasn't almost letting him like truly coach me um and over the course of really more the past year um I and particularly in the last like nine months or so I've just fully given him the reins and I'm like you know you you ha you're my coach and not just my friend like i i need this support i need this kind of full you know i shouldn't be almost like trying to create my own program anymore and he was like thank god <laughs> this is great <laughs> you were doing banana stuff this is so good and it's been amazing and it's it's been a lot of fun what is his training philosophy kind of like boiled down to like is there anything that really sticks out to you that he repeats or just like kind of re reinforces it from time to time um i think his biggest thing is just the strength aspect both in the gym and outside of it um where it's you know if as a 1500 meter runner at the end of the day you're mostly an aerobic runner um and you have to be really strong to be able to get through it and i think you know, at a young age, you just have this like natural kind of ability to recover and pull stuff out. And even by the time you're 23, you're like an old woman and, you know, like limping around and you kind of need to, to get to that speed level. You need the strength. Um, and so I think he's just like, I'm going to train you like, you know, a, a Nick Willis would train or all of these, you know, great milers over the years who came from a strength background. I'm going to work our way all the way back and then we'll kind of like move back to present day so let's go back to 2013 mm -hmm. it's the year that you were on a tear you broke high school or world junior records or just u.s junior records from 800 to 5k became the first u.s high school girl to break two minutes for the 800 you ran 404 that year i'm yeah. pretty sure any faster than that or was it 404 404, 404. Yeah. um so i guess like can you recall or describe i guess what that was like when kind of you're riding this high and every race just seems to be going right. Oh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. Like, <laughs> of course, I had an absolute blast. I loved, the, I loved the whole thing. What really, I guess, like, do you remember just what it was like being on the starting line? Just knowing it's like, okay, I think this one's going to go really well. And it's just like yeah. a bad race didn't happen at all that year until no. worlds maybe i guess when yeah. but even that even that was just ambitious at the time being so young yeah i think it's one of those things where for me um it's kind of funny looking back because people have since said like wow like you were so confident on the line and i'm like i was as soon as i got on the track i was like i'm here to win i'm gonna kill it but totally in the warm-up beforehand i'm like you know freaking out like oh my god i'm gonna die so it's kind of funny how you can look back with like rose colored glasses on and be like, wow, like I just so had my shit together. <laughs> and then I'm like, ah, I think anybody back there with me would have been like, you were not like miss cool the whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, once I got on the track, it just came down to trusting in my training, trusting in my coaching and trusting in myself. And no matter how nervous I was beforehand, I could always let that go. And I think that's when you race best is when you just, you have an intrinsic trust in both your training and yourself. Did you think it ever got to the point where 
like some of these fellow competitors like on the starting line were just like i just don't want to lose to the high school girl um yeah i think in 2014 indoor that was kind of a thing yeah the yeah. when you won, won right yeah yeah because <laughs> i don't know i i some people i didn't feel were really good sports about that <laughs> and just putting it out is and so you know i always got in the line and i don't think of age whether you're 40 and killing it or you're 15 and killing it you're still a competitor um and you can't almost be like well losing to this person's better than losing to that person and i think even as i've gotten older um that's that's still kind of important to consider that there's always going to be people younger than you coming up and it's not that's just the nature of sport and life yeah you just used like the phrase as i've gotten older and people just continue i guess to forget that you're still you're just 23 right now right yeah i mean if i was if I had done your typical NCAA thing and had done a fifth year, I mean, I wouldn't have even gone pro yet. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because sometimes I will, like I will call myself an old woman in the sport because I've just been in the circuit for yeah. so long. Um, but then other times I'm like, what the heck? I'm like, I literally just turned 23. Everybody calm down. Like, yeah. Living my best life over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like yeah it's like you already wore like a pro kit when you were like 16 17 and it's yeah. kind of like that you've been doing it for for years so it's kind of like you you just skipped like the phase where you had a college uniform because you never never did yeah <laughs> i mean there was i mean there's a lot of people who go into double a and then get hurt for i mean it's kind of the normal i feel like 20 year old woman getting hurt but the difference is they didn't have as high of success in the high school ages so people don't really notice and then boom they're 24 and killing it so that's that's what <laughs> you're hoping for right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> killing it a 23 thing though <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um it, does it what do you think i guess about like the way because I, I guess we can rewatch it at, like the 2013 usa's race is mm -hmm. one i watched earlier today totally. just to kind of just like prep and refresh my mind as to uh, some of your notable races and so I watched that race and I'm looking at it and I'm like okay Trainier won the race yeah you made a hard push with 400 meters to go but I was looking around at the rest of the field and I was like aside from you and Corey McGee and Katie Mackey but Katie's kind of like moved up in distance yeah it's like the 1500 is a whole nother animal nowadays. Like oh, it's, and, totally different. And like a lot of it, it's just like the sport is just totally different in the two and a half years that you've been gone. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of interesting in that I've kind of ebbed and flowed with like really following, mm -hmm. um, you know, and like a kind of intense level, I guess. And it's kind of cool to see how much it's constantly changing. Um, even the way our races run i mean it used to be sit and kick and now it's much more just grind from the front um and i feel lucky that i'm young and that i think by the time i'm 40 i'll be like oh we went through so many cycles <laughs> back in the day um but i mean yeah even if you think about it like back in 08 i mean jordan in the final of the olympic trials ran a 414 mm-hmm and she got into the trials with like a 417. And my sophomore year in high school or 2012, I ran a 414 and couldn't get into the meet. Yeah. Um, so it's just every four years, I feel like we're just picking it up. I mean, pretty soon everybody's just gonna be like, 
sub for a bust <laughs> to just make the trials yeah exactly <laughs> that'd be ridiculous <laughs> um so you just kind of mentioned going through like ebbs and flows of following the sport was there mm-hmm. ever time i guess when you just disconnected and were just like all right i'm not gonna watch for yeah yeah definitely i mean there were certain injuries um especially early on like when i kind of had that longer like nine months of mostly cross training alter g just building up really slow where I I just kind of focused a little bit more on my school stuff and everything. And I just, I didn't really feel the need to be super engaged on the pro scene. Um, I was always still kind of cheering for like the semi-elite stuff and friends in the sport. Um, but I think my like obsession with tracking like what times people are running, I it just, I didn't need to. Going back to thir- 2013, you become the first the, the, the youngest U.S. athlete to make a Worlds team since, I guess, Worlds was a thing in the 80s. Yeah. What sticks out to you about that first experience at the World Championships? Um, I think it was just, like, for me, it was kind of handling the emotions about being there. Um, and I think it's kind of similar for, like, you know, your first Olympic trials versus what will now be my third. You're just kind of in a different mindset um, in that, like it was so exciting um but that also made it kind of scary and a little bit intimidating being in a hotel with like all these amazing athletes that you look up to um but just as a whole i mean that experience was amazing i mean i i went to russia which is just such a weird like i might never go there again and (laughs) to have checked that off the bucket list is a weird like you know 17 year old trip is pretty cool <laughs> yeah so i guess the last time i saw you at a meet was probably usa's 2013 i mean you make the team and after that it's kind of you put your head down and we were just training for a while you didn't really race much before did you do london i think that year before um worlds yeah i did london before worlds which was really a very funny race and why was then- that Oh, I like was crying on the start line. I was so freaked out. Like I kind of have a funny story with it in that the day before the race, Jordan and I were warming up in the stadium and it was totally empty. And Jordan was like, I'm really nervous. Like this is like such a big stadium. And I'm like, chill. There's nobody here. It's not gonna be a big deal. Like it looks tiny. We're fine. The next day, there's literally pictures of us on the start line and Jordan looks so confident. Like she's going to kill her three K. She looks amazing. And there's a picture of me and I've clearly been like bawling my eyes out. I'm so freaked out. <laughs> Cause there's like 75,000 people in that stadium. It's um, the year after the Olympics and they sold it out oh, both days. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was insane. And I, for the first like three and a half laps was like in the back, like practically crying, like oh, I'm like really scared. And then with a hundred to go, I was like, oh i don't want to lose <laughs> and then i just kicked it in and i came in fifth so it was okay <laughs> so that was your first taste of like high level international co- yeah competition yeah right? it was um because mine is my like world juniors the year before which i mean faith yeah. won i mean we we had a pretty good field so <laughs> oh wait looking at those results yeah wow yeah i think about it that's yeah pretty crazy yeah i mean who knows how old she was when she won but it was like (laughs) faith i i think that i forget which girl came in second from ethiopia but i think she's still on the circuit nancy was in it jessica judd from england it was a good we had a pretty good squad yeah that was a good squad (laughs) um so then you get to you get to worlds i want to hear more about like the outside of just the uh the competition aspect of it you're 17 16 years old at this Mm -hmm. point 
at a world championship you're surrounded by everyone who's like some people are 30 like i mean there's jordan i guess might have been like one of the athletes closest in age yeah to you. she was my roommate yeah so what was that what was that kind of just like in general just taking in the whole experience maybe i mean the impression i guess could be that like well because i guess maybe was that the year alberto made people cut their hair because it was too hot <laughs> and so it's like there's just leer- yeah. funny antics that alberto like likes to do but i mean for you what do you really remember but i guess about the personal experience there um, well, I think probably one of the best moments for me uh, was thanks to Centro when he threw the Rumpo toy at me, which I still have. Because um, if you got on the podium, you got like the the mascot. And yes, oh. I do already know like the mascots for like the next few things because those are fun things to motivate you and get you excited for meets. Um, and he like tossed it into the stadium for me. And so that was like a really cool moment. Um, and then just otherwise, there were just a lot of funny antics behind the scenes that, you know, I think sometimes if you're watching these sort of meets again, it's like, wow, they, they all look like they really have their shit together. And then like in the warm up area, like people are rolling around the floor crying and it's, it's great. It's, it's funny. <laughs> I think one of my f- favorite things to hear about when people make world teams is just like the the unlikely friendships that people make. So oh, yeah. when it's kind of like, oh, when I did a podcast with John Nunn, uh, like maybe two years ago, the race walker, I was like, who were some of the people that I would never have guessed you're friends with? He was like, I'm cool with all the sprinters. And it's like, wow, I would never have pieced that together. It's like him and Justin Gatlin or him and English Gardner, they're like best friends for those 10 days oh, or whatever completely. it is. Who is like your most least likely of person that we could have pictured you like sharing a meal with or like hanging out with? Um, Oh, that's kind of funny. I mean, first off, I did... We were in a hotel with, like, some athletes from other countries. So I remember, like... I feel like I was sitting with, like, an Australian race walker, and we had a really nice conversation because I was, like, too nervous to, like, sit with, like, whatever American table there was. And I was like, you look friendly. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I actually befriended a lot of the sprinters during that time, too, particularly hurdlers. They are awesome. They're they're a lot of fun. Who was on that hurdle squad? It was, like... Um, on the guy's side or yeah on on the guy's side david oliver david i think was on the team that year um uh jason richardson aries Merritt. yeah uh batman was on it oh that's right yeah he was great he was (laughs) so nice to me we liked we we were like at so many meets together that year just like at the same hotel it was just so friendly (laughs) um and then for me too it was actually very nice because the usatf team really took me under their wing as well you know if you saw the lost kid in the lobby it was probably me and they would direct me somewhere (laughs) um so kind of like a a popular style of like first athlete like firsthand stories nowadays like on the internet Mm -hmm. that i see a lot is like these the players tribune does it a lot it's like these letter to my younger self oh so and this it's crazy to ask a 23 year old because you're already (laughs) young but i mean just because you were so experienced in the sport how would your letter to your younger self start so or like go yeah so it starts dear mary now where do you take it um i i actually really like that question um i think i would really like kind of my main focus um would be one enjoy the moment um and two to really kind of focus on always prioritizing yourself in these, you know, in every kind of day-to-day life situations. And that I think 
having success so young the biggest um kind of i guess threat to you as a person is getting a little too maybe sucked into your sport and the lifestyle and being so go 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 all the time um and i think you know my letter would say like go have that milkshake you know go see that movie go out with that friend um and love running and commit to running but the best way to do that is also to love yourself and commit to yourself and make sure you're kind of doing those other things as well just so that once you go out for a run you're so happy to be there so and now this is just like a bizarre question i wrote down (laughs) so bear with me on this one so it's like so if you have a daughter someday Uh all right don't i mean don't rush into this. You're 23 years old. Uh, I'm 25. I'm not even thinking about it either. Uh, I already so have a daughter. Her name is Nala. Oh, so yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do this to Nala. This is a dog <laughs> <laughs> for the record. Uh, so if you have a daughter someday and she happens to be the same amount of talent or has mm-hmm. just as much promise as like as what you had, I guess, in coming out of high school, um, based on what you know now, how would you guide her through the sport? And I guess, like, the easiest thing here would be to say, like, oh, you know, I'm never going to change a thing. Like, I wouldn't change a thing. Like, uh, y- But when you've experienced, like, it's just such highs and I guess, like, some, some lows, yeah. I mean, it's like you have to want to kind of adjust it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course. And especially if it's your kid, like, you know, I'm going to be, like, crazy momager or something. No, just <laughs> I think I think the first thing is that from a young age, I've always been a big proponent of not having them train and running that if your kids eight and they really want to run that 5k race like yeah like let them jump in they're you know gonna go out way too hard the first hundred and (laughs) doesn't really matter um i don't think you should really be putting your kid into like a true training environment from a track perspective until they're maybe more like 12 or you know middle school years anything before that like go play tag go play soccer go swim um, you know, Jake would say, go play baseball, uh, you know, kind of get athletic in other ways. And then I think if that happened where I had a child who had that promise, um, I think it would just be helpful to have somebody there for them who's kind of empathizes. And I think the biggest thing was for me was sometimes it was just hard for people to kind of understand you know, maybe like I couldn't go out to that party or I had to go take my nap or something like that. And to not feel like you are insane or really weird. Um, and to kind of encourage them still to like, you know, maybe sometimes skip that nap, you know, go out there, like go eat that ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like my parents are the first people who are like, go eat the ice cream. But I think because they didn't come from that athletic background, um, my younger self might have been a little bit more like, no, like I'm like, I'm probably not supposed to. Um, but I think having somebody who's kind of been there and done that, um, I think is, you know, always really helpful. Then when they're giving you the okay, you're like, I'm good to go. <laughs> At the same time, it's hard not to think that the kid with an altitude tent in their dorm is w- not weird. <laughs> oh my God. Those poor other girls in my hallway, like they must have thought I was so sad. So this is your freshman year at Portland. You had an altitude tent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That was sad. 
that was an experience and i was on a bunk bed too like it was just wait how does that work then oh uh, well setup? i didn't have like i just had one of those canopy tents okay my fellow altitude sleepers will know what i'm talking about <laughs> but rather than having it truly over the whole bed it was just over my like head <laughs> do you still use this from time to time um so i still have my altitude tent at home but i haven't moved it into the city um I I don't know if that's gonna happen anytime <laughs> soon. <clears throat> I guess we'll, we'll we'll just get kind of specific with like a promising high school athlete, Caitlin Tui. Yeah, you got to meet her, I guess, like last year, right? For, yeah, for like the Gatorade. I saw that. Yeah, um, cross country athlete of the year award. So it was very funny. I got that PR email from like the Gatorade people, and I was like, oh, you know, you've got seven minutes to uh, do an interview with like Caitlin Tui, and you got seven minutes to do an interview with Mary Kane. I was like. I'm going to need more than seven minutes <laughs> to interview Mary Kane because there's a lot to catch up on. So I'm glad we're finally doing this podcast. Yeah. But, um, Caitlin Tui tearing it up yeah. in the high school scene. I guess, what do you make of her just from like, uh, from the perspective of someone who was in her shoes years ago? Totally. I mean, she's, not years ago, but like fairly recently. She's yeah. absolutely killing it. And I think the biggest thing that I told her and would tell other kids as well is that, you know, sometimes in the sport, it's easy um, to kind of look at one person and be compared to one person. Um, and I think for her, you know, people are always like, oh, you know, Mary Kane, like, are you going to follow her? Are you going to follow that? And, um, you know, there's been a lot of really successful high school girls. We've had Alexa Ephraimson. We've had Audrey Wilson. Um, if you look at girls in the sprints, there's been girls like Caitlin Whitney. Um, plenty of girls have kind of gone through their high school careers and come out um and sometimes they had highs and sometimes they had lows but i think if you look at kind of the you know collection of people and we can throw drew hunter into the mix mm -hmm. um i think the biggest thing is to always make sure your support system is rock solid because they're the people who are going to be there for you when you have highs and you have lows um and they're going to kind of ride it with you no matter what and i think kind of looking at my peers and kind of those other people um you know a lot of us have kind of had to find that at a young age and so as long as you're doing that you have the running talent the you know times are going to come and um it's just about kind of having the right people in your corner to kind of be there for you no matter how you're doing as a runner how big is your support system now really big it's nala and me and <laughs> i'm just kidding <laughs> no it's great um i'm really i mean i think one great thing about living in new york is the fact that the sub elite running culture is so big here yeah. and it's amazing and um it means that i have a suddenly like all these runner friends who i can both emphasize with and relate to and you know even sometimes go for an easy run with and i can kind of look at them as inspiration because i'm like wow if you're getting up at 5 a.m to go for your run before work you know i can get up at 10 a.m and <laughs> go for my easy hour jog like you know and i think um that's kind of been the biggest change for me in the past maybe like nine months from a support side um but then also just my family's always been there for me and been amazing and my coach john and my boyfriend jake and nala who has only ever seen me run at the dog park and i 
can't run properly when I'm there. So she must think I'm just an awful runner. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring on Jake to the podcast real quick. Jake, oh, uh, just hand Jake the mic for a quick question. Like, what have you made of just the last, like, maybe, I don't know, uh, year or so of Mary's perspective on the sport as, like, someone who's able to see it on a day-to-day? Well, it's interesting because, like, I don't know Mary. Like, I didn't know Mary, like, during her, I guess, fastest running years. But, I mean... I think it's clear that she, you know, wants to dedicate her life to being, you know, an exceptional runner. And it's just been exciting, like, since Mammoth. I mean, it was good. Like, I was out in Mammoth for 10 days, um, kind of, like, at the peak of her, uh, you know, issues with with the form and everything. It wasn't pretty, but... uh, (laughs) You know, since that, she's done really well, uh, you know, focusing on the strength. And um, I guess in the last, what, like three or four months, like really putting in at least 70 miles a week, probably more most weeks. And um, and so, you know, for me, like that's kind of just a normal like high 240s, 250s person who doesn't really see like how actually hard pro runners train just to like you know see you know her really like quickly shift into putting some really impressive workouts together and big weeks um it's 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 inspiring for me too just to know like actually how much you can put into it and i think it's not just the mileage but it's the you know you know i'm sitting on the couch on a nightly basis having a beer and watching uh netflix and mary's doing like an hour-long stretching routine on the yoga mat on the floor and like gets up and does core work and like goes to the gym for three hours at a time and like all of that is stuff that you don't see you know unless you're you know like really know a person and like know what they're doing on on a day-to-day basis so that's probably been you know the most eye-opening thing for me but i'm just excited for you to like you know see you pursue what you love and you know go for it so it'll be good and then uh there's a little bit of a i guess motivation for you to also i guess run fast at the fifth avenue mile is this something this is something we (laughs) talked about before okay this is something that so as of taping this two days ago on saturday we were all celebrating chris's um blazing 126 at the brooklyn half blazing (laughs) (laughs) um you know uh, and so I mentioned that, you know, we have a couple long-term goals. One is to go combined sub nine at the same fifth Avenue mile. So that would mean averaging four thirty. I figure I got to sneak into the low four forties. <laughs> Mary, Mary can do the rest there. Maybe like four forty flat. If you go like four twenty, that'd be all right. You know, <laughs> and then, there's gotta be like a record yeah. for like fastest well, couple, right? You know, I will, I will say this is a, a bit inspired by, uh, so when we were out in mammoth, one of the guys out there is Reed Buchanan. And then, mm-hmm. um, he dates Sarah Pagano and they went sub 60 combined for the 10 K at Peyton Jordan. And I texted Mary this and I was like, this is unreal (laughs) it's like you had to combine average under a 30 minute 10k at the same day so then we were talking about what like who you know what what's maybe like the record for the marathon on the same marathon so i think you know if mary eventually moves up to the marathon you know in her 30s and i progress 
you know, hopefully at least out of the two forties, maybe we could combine for sub five in the marathon on the same day. And that would be like an ultimate, you know, big lifetime goal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll start off small with the mile first. <laughs> yeah. You know, baby steps. <laughs> All right. Let's get Mary back on the podcast. Uh, Thanks, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so watching Caitlin Tui run, I guess now what, how, what high school records do you still own? And uh, like, is this something that you've just not kept track of as no, well? I mean, I didn't really keep track of it when I had them, <laughs> like to be fair. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think anybody's gone sub two. No, I don't think so. So, I mean, if I'm totally honest, that was the only one that I really cared about and not like, I don't care if somebody breaks that, but that was the only one that was like a true barrier for me that I wanted to break. And, you know, some people have these break in two projects and they just don't seem to be doing it. But <laughs> some of us did. <laughs> it's funny because I think even going back to this interview, I guess, from 2013 that you did, I think you mentioned that that one was the only one I think that you've ever been focused on time. Yeah, totally. Um, that was something I wanted to break before I had any business thinking that I wanted to break it. Um, and then otherwise for the 15, I mean, you know, I think it's a similar, like the sub four is kind of a magic number, um, which I hope to do in the next few years as well. But, you know, the two was, was really special. So ideally, I guess like, I mean, that's a, that's a time goal. Like it's a lofty time goal and you're not rushing into it and saying like, mm -hmm. okay, it's gotta be by the end of this season. You're just saying like down the road in a few years, but if mapping out, I guess the next two years or so, mm -hmm. because we, we are within, you know, two years of an Olympics, less than that, I guess. So, well, yeah, I guess like what, a year and, year a, half and a half away now? Yeah. Um, I guess ideally, how would you see the, you know, the foundation, the you know, the brick by brick approach to getting to the trials? Totally. So I'm not afraid to say that like 2020 is my goal. I want to be mm -hmm. on that team. Um, I totally think I could do it as long as I'm staying healthy and putting in the work. Um, but in a lot of ways this summer, it's just about continuing to put the miles in, get some speed work in that kind of can set me up to be, you know, kind of competitive on the scene. Um, I have absolutely no idea what that means. <laughs> I have zero clue. I joke with people that I'm either going to make the team or I'm not even going to get into USAs. We have no idea. That's not the focus. I'm just supposed to focus day by day, run by run. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing will just be staying healthy and continuing to just trust the process and put the work in to get there. Your first race in two and a half years yeah. was the Japan run the, that the New York Roadrunners put on just a couple uh, weeks ago. First off, I mean that you won it. And it's a good omen, I guess. It's if it's the Japan run. I I, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, take me through. I guess you mentioned how nervous you used to get before races back in you know 2013, 14, 15. What were you feeling before this race? Not knowing that I guess like you hadn't had a race in so long. I will admit I was more nervous than I should have been considering the fact that like that wasn't something like I was trying to get a hard effort in, but there was no, it was a four mile New yeah, York yeah, exactly. race on a rainy Sunday morning <laughs> for me. Like 
in a lot of ways it was just like a, a hard workout a hard mm-hmm. tempo but i think it was more f- like the emotional energy of this kind of meaning something to me and it meaning that i'm back and i think people realizing that like oh she still runs <laughs> and so i think that's why i was almost nervous i didn't I, there was time didn't matter place didn't matter it was just about really running and kind of putting myself back out there again and it ended up being really fun and i'm really grateful to nyrr to put on such well done meets just week after week um and so it was a perfect way to open it up yeah it really gives i mean new york road Runners does a good job of that where it gives there's just plenty of racing opportunities in the city so yeah being around in new york just so many opportunities even when i guess like you were hurt but you had like this what was the biggest itch to to run like like not to run but to race oh yeah that was big i mean this has been the first like extended stretch of time where i have been like i don't care we're just gonna train we're just gonna be chill and before that like for like a good two years of that period where i was not racing i was constantly like let's just run like like let's just jump into something let's just do something but it it came back to my like i'm pushing too hard too soon mindset um and so now that i'm finally like yep you're in control i'm just gonna do the workouts we're just gonna build up um i it's way better and it's why i'm actually able to race (laughs) It always, I mean, just from an outsider perspective, just someone who's not at that level, I've always just wondered, it's like, how do pro athletes not, who are injured, I guess, not get so restless? Like, let's just say, like, you were injured around Thanksgiving time and you had a local turkey trot. How do you resist that temptation <laughs> not to just go out there and win your tur- turkey trot in like a 17 minute 5K? Oh, no, it's it's <clears throat> real. I mean, in a way, you like I was kind of dying inside to race. And I think that's even why like I was almost low key more nervous for this race than I should have been. And it was just that kind of pent up like, Oh my God, it's happening. (laughs) Am I going to break my leg two seconds before the race? No, I'm not. Oh, this is great. Like just kind of getting that energy out. And now it's just amazing because I can start really, you know, tentatively looking ahead and be like, wow, like I'm, I'm going to be racing this year. And it's, been way too long and racing is way too fun and so you know my crazy self was always pushing to get there but i'm finally there you cross the finish line there's a video of you winning the race uh it got tweeted out i think by new york Roadrunners. uh i i retweeted it a couple other people retweeted it and i could see the retweets were piling up because it was just like it's not that i mean you you can't you could probably just tweet it out with just being like mary kane is back in all caps and like people would go crazy (laughs) But I just remember even back in the 2013-14 era, and this is before, I guess, like, you even, like, gave into social media, I remember this, but, like, hashtag Kane Sanity was a thing. Yeah. And to see it now, I guess, like, just even still, like, the numbers. I mean, people get hung up on likes and retweets all the time, but it's just, like, seeing that you still have, like, this little cult following... <laughs> was very funny to me as just like wow it's like she just won a four mile race in central park that and <laughs> and people are like very very excited about it yeah no and i mean the fan support has really been amazing there have been a lot of people who um you know would see me at the track at van Cortland over the years and still be like we're rooting for you we want to see you back out there and you know stuff like that really does mean a lot 
Um, and it's kind of one of many reasons that it's that much more rewarding to really be healthy and really kind of putting my best foot forward again. Yeah. It's like you're right now on the Let's Run message boards. It's, it's like Jim Walmsley, you <laughs> and like the Tin Man Elite are like the three things that could drive message boards to go crazy. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Um, but then at the same time, like recently, I think it might have been like within the past, like maybe year or so, you've been more open on social media and on like Instagram or Twitter. What went into to that decision, I guess, to, to welcome fans, I think, more and give some more insight into this whole process? Yeah, I think a lot of that came from, you know, getting more involved in the New York community um, in that I realized that, you know, the professional running world is a very small world and kind of getting more involved maybe in like the sub elite culture i realized that you know people really do appreciate sometimes hearing the little things and you know sometimes if we're at like a random you know gathering with other runners or something it's the little stuff like what did you do when you you know pulled this like do you have any tips for stretching and stuff and i realized that like people like to follow a person and not just times, not just kind of a, you know, I guess aloof athlete. Um, and I like appreciated that kind of enthusiasm and I wanted to share my knowledge in any way that could help people. And so it's been rewarding and I'm not somebody who is almost super comfortable on social media. <laughs> um, I was somebody who didn't get an iPhone until their senior year of high school. So yes, I was traveling in Europe in 2013 without an iPhone, which meant I couldn't really communicate with people problematic. Yes. My reality also. Yes. So I was never really somebody who's particularly like social media savvy to begin with. Um, and I'm maybe like a little curmudgeonly in that department, but my younger sisters have attempted to help me and teach me. And Jake, you write some of these captions on Instagram. <laughs> I don't I mean <laughs> I have well so I mean I don't have Instagram so I get oh, that's be, right. I get to be like creative <laughs> with you know captions once in a while at least if Mary doesn't know what to write she's just like you give it a shot and <laughs> we share an account even though I I think the real dream here on a social media standpoint is creating an Instagram for Nala for Jake to take over and then I think we'd really see his creativity shine is that anti-that <laughs> <laughs> you had a fake account right back yeah. in 2013 when you were in high yeah. school right? yeah that was funny um i was in a bus ride back from a meet one time with alberto and he was like so so you got a you made a twitter <laughs> i was like no i don't have an iphone <laughs> he was like no 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 you have an account i'm like no 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 i don't have an account <laughs> and then we looked it up and it was like a you know kind of fake account and it was really funny too because they tweeted really nice things but it was like totally not what i would say and <laughs> so i loved it <laughs> <laughs> but now you are on twitter and you've got the blue check i'm sure right like yeah you know, okay so that helps people tell <laughs> who's yeah. the real one um <clears throat> one other thing i guess when i'm looking back at kind of just some notes i put down from like uh 2013 one of the last things i remember from usa's was you make the team you're i don't know if you brought it out to the podium but you had it in the post-race press conference was this 
yellow stuffed uh, duck. And it even made an appearance in, I think, the Chicago Tribune story and the Sports Illustrated story. Like, it just kind of, like, really showed how, like, young you were. It was like, oh, this, she's got her stuffed animal with her in this great moment uh, in her career. The duck's name was Puddles. Where's Puddles? What happened to Puddles? You're dying of laughter right now. No, this is, like, trying not to cry. <laughs> so, tragic story. So, I lost Puddles in 2014. And... It was absolutely devastating for me. I am not even being dramatic. I called like hotels everywhere. People were just like, move on, kid. You're too old, like low key. And I was like trying to get teammates to help me find puddles. Nobody cared. Only my mom was there for me to cry with. But I lost puddles. <sighs> N- wait, do you know where? No, no, no idea. Uh, it was kind of during that like twenty. Oh no, I guess it would have been twenty fifteen indoor, and I was traveling like for meets back to New York. Um, I wonder did I like lose him in like the airport or at a hotel? I I wonder did I lose him at this one goddamn hotel that I pass all the time, and I want to go in there so bad and like rummage through their lost things and the like. Oh my god, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 that would be crazy like today if you would where is this hotel it's like on park um and maybe like 57th or something and so like whenever i get off at like 57th and 7th i'm just like oh man it's it might be there could still be there but yeah it's okay i have a lot of stuffed animals jake's really lucky and so <laughs> <laughs> you've moved on no i will <laughs> never like i will die still sad <laughs> <laughs> um all right one last thing from from that sports illustrated story it's kind of like how the story opens so i'm gonna read this thing and so it says this is really really cool actually because i went back and reread it today and i was like wow like this still withstands the test of time mm-hmm. uh in some distant imagined future she does historic things Running with a long brown ponytail floating behind her like a vapor trail, she wins gold medals, breaks world records, and restores track and field to a place where little girls dream that someday they will be just like Mary Kane. Or in another version of that same future, she's injured or overwhelmed and never finds the greatness that once seemed imminent. It's not impossible to know which will happen, despite America's collective obsession with thrusting outsized expectations onto the most gifted young athletes. Whatever her path, whether to greatness or obscurity, there will never be another moment in her life quite like this one when every race is fast and every day is sweeter than the one before. So that's what was written in 2013. So I guess like rereading that now, what do you think of it? And just kind of like it's interesting because you're still very young. And so it's like, yes, you did experience the second option where it was just like the, the, the injuries. And the first option is still – I mean – any way you put it it's like setting world records winning gold medals is is always just a long shot for anyone in general for sure but it's just like the hope isn't gone for that no definitely not and i think the funny thing is the first time i read that and now hearing it again the only thing i remember kind of being like almost a little salty about is the fact that they called my ponytail brown like i'm totally a blonde (laughs) (laughs) but otherwise no i mean for me it's like i think as any older athlete would tell you injury is a part of the sport and some people have more injuries than others some people have more luck with timing um 
you know, you can go through the laundry list of woe is me's if you wanted to. But at the end of the day, if you have faith in yourself as an athlete and in your talent, you're, you're going to pick yourself up every time. And I always did. And I always will. Um, and I totally see that first part still happening. And again, that's why I'm, that's why I'm here. Awesome. So what's next? Well, I mean, you've just Japan run champion. Okay. You crossed that one off the books, <laughs> but I guess like what, do you have any idea of like when you want to get back on the track or like anything right now? Or you knew, I know you said before day to day is how you want to take it. Yes. And that really is it. I mean, I think, <laughs> you know, tentatively I'll race in June. We'll see what, where, when, how. I won't say why, because, I mean, I really want to race. That's why. But <laughs> and hopefully people have made it, you know, over an hour into this podcast and now are just like, okay, I get it. I get it. Yeah. She, she really wants to race. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, hopefully pretty soon I'll be on the track and I'm just excited as everybody else is to see what I can do. Awesome. Well, people are definitely uh, looking forward to seeing your return. But before we let you go, I got to ask you the four questions I ask every guest. Um, I almost forgot to totally do them. (laughs) First one is, uh, what is the meanest thing you've read about yourself on Let's Run.com? And I guess you you said before that you haven't gone on since freshman year of high school. But what do you remember as the meanest thing? Yeah. So the reason I, as a freshman in high school, had to stop was because they were very inappropriate Um, and really mean and when you're like a 12 year old girl reading articles about how no you're definitely a boy you can see the bulge in her shorts as they're posting pictures of you like that is brutal um and so i never was really on it but like even seventh grade i was like there was message boards about me um and so i'm really glad i learned young that that's a really even even when there are supportive people I thank you. I really appreciate it, but I will never see those comments on there because that is not a place of, yeah. you know, support. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Wow. You're, I think, yeah. the, probably the person who's gotten most specific with that answer. A lot of people are just like, oh, yeah, and then they called me a douchebag or like something like that. And so, yeah, you're No, yours I mean, like, I, I was in middle school and I was reading this, and it was during that phase where your nose is like too big for your face. And you're like awkward and uncomfortable anyway. And you're reading these things and you're like, I have broken five for the mile as an eighth grader and adult men are in their mom's basements writing articles about Jeez. me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't I don't support those message boards. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next one is uh, funniest drug testing story that you've got. Um, so. I've obviously listened to the podcast, so I kind of, the reason I'm quick is I had kind of (laughs) thought about this, Um, but I don't remember what meet it was, but after some race, it was like Centra and I were like the last two people in there and we just could not get ourselves to pee. And I remember just like we were rolling around on the ground with like tennis balls, like under our stomachs because we thought like maybe that would do something. um yeah and i just remember it was really funny and part of me was like oh it's okay we're just gonna have fun even if we can't leave because <laughs> i was like 12 and dumb but like that's okay but i have a lot of weird ones though because i was almost always tested at a young age and you if you're under i think like 18 you have to have somebody watching them watch you pee and so it was just like a lot of weird moments with the show at that point yeah i've had like so many people like fill that people who should not have been filling that role were filling that role (laughs) it was just 
just a lot <laughs> yeah i forget who was uh it might have been jordan's podcast where she was the first one to be just like yeah i mean like just because she was tested so young yeah like, i forgot that there was a whole another aspect of usada drug test it was even a thing like when i was the first time i was ever drug tested because i only had my like high school coach with me and i remember like i wasn't like super comfortable with the whole thing but like I don't think legally they can test me without mm-hmm. somebody watching. And so it was just like, oh, my God, like, talk about awkward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a conversational pace with you, where would this run take place and who would it be with? Okay, I already told Jake before this, but I would pick Jake because he is my favorite running partner. But he gave me so much sass that I'll, I'll pick another person and... That would be Michael Phelps because I'm a really big fan. And I don't know where we would go. It would be somewhere just lovely. I don't know. I'm trying to think of my like favorite. I I feel like it would be in like a mountain to jungle to beach settings that we could finish at the beach and maybe go for like a little swim afterwards. That sounds interesting. I'm (laughs) trying to think where that could possibly be. I don't know. But it would just like we'd have to like it would have to be like a whole like maybe we'd finish more like at a lake. Maybe we'd be like in Switzerland or something. Or it could be Rio, I guess. Like when you go. Oh, yeah. True. Beach. Definitely got a beach there where he won some Olympic gold medals. There you go. And then we can go for like a swim. So we're like, you know, giving each other a chance to like have their respective sport. So he was at the Sports Illustrated offices like not too long ago <gasps> and I meant to I wanted to just ask him just like listen this has been bugging me forever and it's bugging <laughs> runners everywhere how fast can you run a mile and also it's like what would be a fair distance for you to race like Usain Bolt or like Ooh. in just in general just kind of like Usain Bolt would beat him in anything I yeah think. But I'm just, I was just kind of curious, like, what, what's his fastest mile? Or has he ever run a mile on a track? I'd be curious, too. Like, I am a really big Michael Phelps fan. Um, I can't imagine he's, like, that fast just based on his body build. No, it's a lot of human to carry around. Le- yeah. A lot of awkward limbs. And a lot of torso yeah. rather than leg. But, yeah, like, definitely I'm not somebody who really fangirls over people. Um he would be the only person who I'd probably be like, will you be my best friend? But like, other than that, I'd be like pretty chill with people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think the last one is the basketball question. So it's like you get 25 shots from half court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? I think in reality, no, but I'm totally going to say yes. (laughs) (laughs) i think if i was really like all of a sudden faced with that like i think in real life i would like choke and probably say no but for the sake of this i'm super confident like yeah i'm doing it before you did track you were what soccer swimmer 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 and like a little bit of soccer but mostly swimmer i mean that's why we're like going for this lovely little run with michael phelps he can bring boomer too oh my god boomers his son his son okay i thought it was son wow i thought it was a dog but (laughs) (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's his son's name (laughs) (laughs) um cool mary thank you so much for taking the time to do this yeah no thanks for having me at my apartment it's been great (laughs) thank you to mary for taking the time to do that interview and really opening up about all the highs and the lows of the past couple years so if you're intrigued by some of that sub-elite culture that she mentions about New York City, boy, do I have the podcast for you. It is called Runners of NYC, and I totally think that you should go and check it out because 
me and my co-host Leanne Sherrick on that show try to bring you some of the stories behind the legends and luminaries that make that running subculture so interesting and competitive. So Runners of NYC is available to stream now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. So go and find it right now. And a reminder that you can subscribe to the Sidious Mag newsletter. Go and get your fix of all the best reads and listens from the Sidious Mag team. Shout out to Samantha Stokes for knocking that out week to week. And a reminder that this show would not be possible without the support that we get from our sponsors like Soar Running. They have great quality products including their Elite Tempo Top and their Tempo Shorts. I'll include the links to those in the show notes. And be sure to follow them on Instagram at Soar underscore running. Check them out, SoarRunning.com. I want to start doing this thing where we share podcast reviews on the next episode. So tell me what you thought of this episode by tweeting at Chris Chavez or at Sidious Mag, and I'll read a few of them on the show. And if you shout us out on your Instagram story, tag at Sidious Mag, and we will absolutely repost it on our own Instagram story. And this week, what we'll do is we will follow back anyone who does it for the Mary Kane episode. So post a screenshot of you listening to the show. Throw it up on your Instagram story. Tag us. We'll follow you right back. Easy way to get followers. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. What that does is it helps other people discover the show and it helps us get one step closer to dethroning Joe Rogan atop the podcast charts. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. And don't forget, legs are feeling good. June 3rd, National Legs Are Feeling Good Day. It's the one-year anniversary of when I first started saying that.